Welcome to Pierce Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode... Really? What? Do you like not knowing what episode number we're on? No. I like knowing what episode number we're on. Because oh. we're on episode 109. Boom. And you see how I forced a no question there? You did. You did. I'm glad that played out because for a moment I thought you forgot what we talked about five minutes ago. Because I'm like, I hope he asks a question or we're going to have an awkward start to the podcast and maybe we'll have to retake this beginning. Oh, no, we never do that. We just roll with the uh, awkwardness because that's how we roll. Anyways, today we are on one of our uh, fantastic Level Up Review episodes and we are still in our Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, uh, which has truly been amazing. Um, I'm going to be honest, though, like the concepts that he teaches in here are things that's like I get. And then it's like, yes, that would be so good to implement. But then I catch myself as I'm like, all right, preparing for the episode. I'm like, you know what? I didn't really do a very good job in the last few weeks of like actively implementing all of these things or hmm. or even a few of them very well. Like I noticed that there's a couple of them over time I've gotten better at. But I think one of the things that this podcast is forcing me to do is that constant reflection of I'm learning these principles. Then I come to talk about them again. And it's like, OK, but did I really practice it? Because some of them are really awkward and kind of force you to like get out of your comfort zone with what's kind of natural when it comes to conversations and things like that. But that's a good thing because we want to get away from the the normal, natural types of conversations and get that leverage we need to have better negotiations and end up coming out ahead. No, I agree. Now, I think what's what's tough is it has to be intentional. Yep. You know, because this is all active stuff. Yep. Right. It's not kind of, you know, like in the reselling world, it's like, well, research. Well, you're going to always have to research. You know what I mean? That's not that's not that's not a tough one. But, you know, when it's you're like labeling the emotion. Right. Like in the middle, in the midst of of a tough conversation like that, that's a hard one. Yeah. Or mirroring somebody's, um, you know, whether it's their their facial expressions or or using certain words to get them to mirror your emotions. Um, All of those things are, are they become natural to people who like you said, intentionally put those things into practice and you don't get better at it. I, I just think about it like any kind of sport or any kind of discipline that takes time and energy. Like it's it's a lot of work and effort up front and you do have to be intentional. Like you kind of have to say like, okay, today in the next five conversations I have, I'm going to mirror or I'm going to use, you know, one of these voices that he talks about and I'm going to practice a few of them so that I can get good at them or I'm going to, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And you know, that's just to be honest, I don't know if I've done a very good job. I think a lot of times I read so many books that like I glean like little bits here yeah. and there. And I notice that over time who I am changes. I become a better person. I'm, I've got more tools in my belt, but I don't always, I mean, we're really digging into this, but then it's kind of sad to say like, am I really applying it? So th- that's the dilemma here with the, with our level up review. So usually we like to wrap up books in about two episodes. Right. This is episode four. Yep. We've been doing a chapter episode. So if we go down that path, we will be on this book for six more episodes after this one. So I don't know. I'd like to know in the comments below, are you open to making this a 10 episode kind of deal? Or, you know, are you kind of, hey, you know, it'd be kind of nice. I'm, you know, and we don't, we usually, we listen we don't always go with the flow, you know, because we kind of you 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 can't please everybody. Right. Because there's always going to be somebody that's going to say, yes, we want all of it. And somebody else is going to say, no, we don't. But we'd like to hear just because it gets you know us thinking about it, because I, I really do believe we could spend an episode per chapter. Oh, yeah, for sure. And 
one thing too, um, I always encourage our, our listeners to read along if possible. We've got a link mm-hmm. down in the description. I think uh, if not, we'll make sure it's there. <laughs> make sure it's there. Um, so that you can, you know, purchase the book if you want to. Also, this is not a sponsor of ours at all. So I, I'm only saying this just because I saw it in my inbox today and or yesterday. And I'm really, really into Audible. I love Audible. They I, should sponsor us. I, that'd be great. I do audiobooks all the time. And they just came out with this thing where between now and I think it's like February 20th or March 20th. <laughs> okay, now like they should really sponsor yeah. us. Uh, they have this promotion where if you finish three titles that are at least three hours long or more, um, and you're an Audible either trial member or member, they give you a $20 Amazon credit. That's good to know because I'm an Audible member. I didn't even know about that. Yeah. And so if, you've, if, if you're considering doing Never Split the Difference with us, um, it's, it's one of the top sellers on Audible. Might be worthwhile picking up on Audible um, or other books that we've already done um, or other things you're interested in. If you're interested in fiction, whatever it is, Audible's great. Um, but these self-help books, these, these kind of self-improvement books, um, and things like Never Split the Difference, which is not your typical like just guru self-help type book, but but somebody with authority explaining their years of experience as an FBI negotiator, um, how negotiation tactics work in the grind of like the most like intense situations into like the day to day conversations that you have. So uh, I think this would be if you're if you haven't been reading along or listening to this book with us, um, it might be worthwhile to say, hey, I'm going to try this Audible thing. Uh, you can get a free trial membership. Do that three books. You're going to be a better person for it and get that $20 Amazon credit. It's almost like you get paid to read. So just listening to this episode could have made you $20. That's right. There you go. Here's a podcast bringing that value. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I enjoyed this chapter. I actually, there's another book here that they reference, which I may pick up the book uh, by Jim Kemp called Start With No. Right. Just cause I've never, I never heard of that book. And I go, huh. It's interesting because I've used this myself on both as a reseller and as a school administrator. And I'll show, share some stories in a little bit. But yes, no is definitely not a win, but it's a start of a win or it can be. Yeah. And, and just so you guys know, the start of chapter four is titled yes. Beware, Yes, Master, No. And it, it kind of is counterintuitive in a lot of ways to what a lot of kind of sales gurus would push um, or um, just naturally. And he talks a lot about why it is that there's almost like a negative connotation to the word no and a positive one for the word yes, when in reality, oftentimes yes is not really yes and has all these other things involved with it. And so to not be afraid of the no and to actually utilize no in the negotiating uh, tactics. So whether that's, you know, trying to get a pay raise, whether it's trying to get a better deal at a garage sale, negotiating with, um, you know, client, whatever it is, even with a spouse or a friend using the ability to get a no, um, to then further the negotiation skills. Well, it, it's kind of interesting because the very first part, like I, so going into reselling, I think has opened my eyes and your eyes to a whole different world of kind of expertise. Mm-hmm. Right, maybe you knew this because you you worked for a cable company at some point in time. Right. And you didn't tell marketing, but they start off oh, right no, away. No, not telemarketing. Oh, sorry, did I offend you? My bad. We were we were dispatchers. <laughs> dispatchers. Okay. All right. Dispatchers. Quote unquote. Air quotes. We were. All right. So I didn't know that there was a flow chart. Now maybe it's they, they're talking figuratively, not literally, but that there's a flow chart of yeses to get you to say a final yes to purchase a product. Oh, yeah. You haven't noticed that with telemarketer calls? I, no, well, well yeah, I do. But see, I'm so, I'm just annoyed when they call them like, 
Don't ever call me again. Thanks. Click. Like, I don't bother to even answer the questions. So reading this now, I've had a few where, you know, people have asked me, like they caught me, like they asked me like one or two questions and I'm like, I'm really impassioned about something they asked me. And so I'll answer it. And then the next one's a yes. And the next one's a yes. And I go, wow, there is a science to this. Yeah. But the, the problem that he kind of promotes here is a lot of times they get you to say yes. And he starts off an example of a telemarketer who asks questions like, do you like drinking water? Yes. Do you like your water to be clean and safe? Yes. But, and you're basically wanting to get off the phone the whole time. Like, look, I don't want to buy your product, but they're forcing you to say yes. And the belief that a lot of people have is if you can get someone to say yes to your thing, keep the conversation going that eventually they're going to end with the final yes, the yes of what they want. Um, and it says this, it says, now let's think about the selling technique. It's designed uh, to get to yes at all costs as if no were death. And for many of us, it is. We have all these negative connotations with no. We talk about the rejection of no, about the fear of hearing it. No is the ultimate negative word. But he goes on to explain that for negotiators, no is pure mm -hmm. gold. Yeah, well, in the next line, he just built it. I love how it says, it allows the other party to clarify what you really want by eliminating what you don't want. No is a safe choice that maintains the status quo. It provides a temporary oasis of control. Yeah, and it goes on to say yes and maybe are often worthless, but no always. I feel like we should just read the book. Well, like it's so well stated. Yeah, you know. But isn't that isn't that weird to think that like yes and maybe's oftentimes are worthless? And we don't always think about that. Like if we're dealing with like just a typical garage sale negotiation, the yes is typically if we're looking for that final yes, will you take this amount? Yes, boom, done. But oftentimes when you're doing that kind of sneaky stuff in between to try and like get the the price to move and you're trying to do the salesman pitch stuff, if you're trying to get them to say yes to stuff, and, and I'm going to talk as we get to the end of this, things that I've noticed you when it comes to garage sale negotiations on how you actually do use the no yeah. thing. Yeah. And so um, it, it, it's weird to think that that no always alters the conversation. So instead of just getting this kind of yes, but nothing has really changed when somebody says, yes, I like water. Yes, I want my water to be drinkable that doesn't mean that they want to buy your product, right? So you've made them say yes, but that hasn't actually changed anything in, in the real negotiation. Well, I've noticed in this that this really is powerful when it, it deals with people pleasers, mm. right? And I, I forget what the classifications are and I forget what test it was. I don't know if it was the Myers-Briggs personality. I forget which one it was, but there are people in life that are yes people, mm. right? Because they never want to disappoint anyone. And I find that in my situation, whether it was, you know, somebody was working for me that was a yes person or whether it was a family member or whoever it was, whenever I would ask them the constant question that I was looking for the yes, they would always say yes. And then I would hear after the fact how much they regretted saying yes. Yep. Oh yeah. And that's <laughs> worse, I mean? right? Isn't yeah. that worse? Like when somebody's like, yeah, I'll take you to the, you know, to the airport or whatever. And then the whole time they're upset about it, they complain about it later. And, and it's like, you said yes, but you know, you really didn't mean it or yeah. I mean, and, and to be honest, in a lot of ways I was a yes person and this section isn't about necessarily using no. I've talked in the past on podcasts about mm -hmm. how for me personally, learning to say no to people was really powerful. And that's not the same kind of no it's talking about here. It's really, it's more of actually getting them to say no to something you're pitching on purpose in order to move the conversation and make it think, make them feel like the decisions they're coming up with that you're guiding them to are their own which they'll actually more likely to follow through as opposed to this, yeah, sure, or maybe I'll, I'll figure it out, I'll call you back. Um, but in reality, even that, even just not being a yes person and learning to say no to things, in some ways has opened up a lot of negotiations. I remember when I left my previous job, um, 
it was amazing how much negotiating power I had. And I didn't even realize I had, I mean, I knew they'd, they, that there was a, in, in some ways they'd want me to stay there, but it was a no, no matter what, like there was nothing they could have offered me that I would have stayed. I was leaving. Um, I had, you know, doors opened up for me in another place, but it was amazing that when they offered something, some sweet deals, I could have been like, uh, yeah. Right. But instead I said, no. And then the next thing out of their mouth wasn't, all right, we'll see you later was, okay, well, what about, and it kept adding, right? And so I was even realizing, even with the tables flipped, learning to be the one to say no to things did alter the conversation and change the dynamics of the negotiation. No, agreed. And the the key thing is, and we'll talk about this now. And then, yeah, we are going to talk about this now. I was going to see you later. Is if you go to page 70, 78, I think I'm skipping. Are you okay if I skip no, go over for some of the story? You know, he, he has that phrase, no is the start of negotiation, not the end of it. Mm. And I remember when I would have <laughs> teachers like you that were incredible, that were to leave, my first question, my first couple questions would always be, are you sure you want to da 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 Like, and I would push him towards a no. Because mm. if I push him towards a no, it would get them to reflect, like, do I really want to leave? Right. Right. And then they would have to, in their own mind. Now I could also be pushing them away. Right. Right. But that was kind of my, my tell as to, okay, are they leaving because of something I've done that I can improve on or can I offer more money or is there, you know, whatever it is, or is this beyond my control? Like, is, is it done? Right. Cause I could clarify why this individual is leaving. Right. Right. And so, you know, this is, I think this is helpful with anybody. I mean, he talks about it in the book, like this, this negotiation not only applies to just selling and business and negotiation with FBI and terrorists, but even your own kids. Yep. Right. And so I kind of laugh, I have a teenage son now. And when I automatically can, it can get him to say no, like, Hey, do you really want to waste all that time doing something and you're frustrated tomorrow? Well, no. Okay. So why don't we talk about how to make this happen? Right. Right. And it's been, it, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm dealing with a teenager, so it's not a win 90, 90 to 100% of the time. It's maybe a win 60% of the time, but it, it's a better negotiation than going, don't you want to get this done for tomorrow? Well, yes. Well, obviously they do. Right. Right. So anyways, am I making sense? Am yeah, I being you are. And, and to be honest, like this, this chapter is very profound, but to be honest, there were times where I, I caught myself like, okay, I can really see this, like really being just semantics where it, it, it's kind of just oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, same, no, I get the same side of the same coin or two sides of the same coin. But like, I, do, do I really see a difference? And then he'd clarify a little bit like, okay, I, see, I, do, I do see the difference here and how that might change stuff. But sometimes it's like, does the way you word the question really matter that much? But I think what the example you gave is a good example. Like, do you want to get passing grades? Well, the kids will say yes, right? But if you can get uh, your your kid to say no to something, then you might have a little bit more power because they could say, yes, I want to get a passing grade, right? Well, and do then, you want to spend the next year in the same class all over again, doing the same work and being bored out of your mind? No. <laughs> all right. Well, then you, you ask after that, the open-ended question, like, okay, well, what do you need to do in order to make that not happen. And then once they've said no, then they're kind of taking some ownership of, of what they, what they, where they really want to be. And they're having to process it. And he even gives an even more simple example when it comes to like, you know, trying to get your kid out of a store or out of the, out of your room. I do this. I, the funny thing is I do this with my dog a lot, right? Like <laughs> I try to get my well, dog. So you replies to animals. Yeah. I mean, it really just like this is next level. You try and get your, your dog or your kid or whatever. to like come outside or to come inside and they don't want to do it. When you're like, all right, 
well, then I'm just going to leave you here. Do you want to stay here alone? You start walking in and start to close the door. Boom. Yeah. Next thing you know, they're, they're there, right? Because they've come up with the no themselves. Like, no, I don't want to be here anymore mm-hmm. if you're leaving, right? And he kind of uses that example. And, and sometimes he says it works 60% of the time, right? Which isn't great odds in some ways. Like it's if, better than zero. It's better than zero, I guess. But like if you're, if you're like in the mall and your kid doesn't want to leave and you're like, well, fine, I'm leaving without you. 40% of the time they might say yes. And then you have to be the one to backtrack. Okay. I'm not really leaving. Well, no, no I'm the, yeah. Well, that's the <laughs> other part. You have to follow through on what you say. Right. Cause then you really lose all negotiation power. Yeah. But I'm, you can't leave like a five-year-old in the mall. Well, okay. But they, a temper but, tantrum. Yeah. But I don't, so I learned this is not a parenting <laughs> podcast, but there's several books I read long time ago is that unless you can follow through, on what you're saying, don't ever say it because then you lose all authority. So anyways, that's a parenting tip because, you know, uh, I, when I was a younger parent, I would do that all the time. Mm. And then, you know, the kid, kids kids are conniving. Yep. Like they did. I mean, I know your son's only two, but I don't even, know. even yeah, at two, like yeah. they can read people yep. and, you know. Yep. They test you and they try you. And yeah. And if you, if you, if you prove yourself not to be a person of your word, right? Yeah, that's going to make a big difference. So yeah, so if you make a threat like that and and you allow the no, you better be willing to, I guess, you know, follow through with it. Um, but, you know, one thing I thought was interesting here, he gives an example of, of he tried to get this job, this FBI negotiation, um, like, team, and he went in and he didn't have the qualifications and the person told him no. And no, no, no was his answers that he had to give. And then she said, well, finally, no. She's like, do you have this? Do you have this qualification? Do you have this qualification? She goes, well, then you're not getting hired for the job, right? You've already answered your question. It's no. And he go- he asked, well, then what can I do to get the job? And she tells him to go work for a suicide hotline. And the funny thing was he, reflecting on this, realized that she was actually using the no's that he was giving of not being qualified and then forced him to think, okay, then what do I need to do to get this job? Mm-hmm she was using it as a form of negotiation, right? It wasn't just like, I'm just turning you down, but like, and it really makes sense here if she's going to hire a good negotiator to to find out if this person is willing to go through this negotiation skills. And it says here this, it says, um, a trap into which many fall is to take what other people say literally. I started to see that while people played the game of conversation, it was in the game beneath the game where few played that all the leverage lied or all the leverage lived. So to think about that, like people all the time are in this conversation. And we know that like the, the, the people at the top in most businesses, the people at the top in politics, um, you know, there's going to be some you hate, some you, you love, but either way, no matter what you think about them, they're playing a different game than the average person. Their conversations mm-hmm. are happening. And you see this in like, I love, I mean, I read a lot of fiction, um, you know, thinking of some of them that I've, I've, I've read recently where like there's all these you know, political stuff happening between this house and this faction and this, and you're realizing that there's games inside of games and words mean multiple things. And then you start to think, I don't usually have conversations like that, but to think there are people who that's how they live. Like they're experts at this in the real world, not just in like books, but in the real world, there are politicians, there are CEOs, there are top negotiators and salesmen who are playing a game within a game. And if you're playing at the upper level or, or, uh, above the surface and they're playing the deeper game, they're going to manipulate you and maneuver you into the ways you don't want to be in. And one thing that I've noticed is even if you're not somebody who's like necessarily going to be doing a lot of negotiating um, for, you know, big clients and stuff like that for a company, knowing this kind of stuff will help you from being manipulated. You will be able to spot when people are using techniques and skills and methods that, that just seem to come natural to them and you don't even recognize they're doing it. 
And then you can reflect and say, wait a minute, they're, they're using my emotions. They're mirroring what I'm doing and causing me to, to, to take on their emotions. They're asking open-ended questions that I can't answer without like starting to move towards their point of view. And when you can spot those things, even if you're not doing them yourself, you're going to be able to at least have some kind of leverage in the game that they're playing. Well, no, I agree. I, I'll give you an example. So I got owned by one of my parents back in the day because they wanted something to be done with, I think, their daughter's assignment or grade or something. And they basically, they called, they, they didn't email me. They just called me and I automatically was going to say no. Well, I forget what the selling technique was or whatever. He basically said, so I'd like you to do A or B. Let me know which one. Gave me no room to say no. It was either this or this. And, and you bought it? And I bought it. Yep. And I didn't realize I bought it until probably a few days later. I'm going, wait a second. Wait a second. It was too late. Yep. I already made that decision. He gave you like an either or. Yeah, and it was an either or. It was, it was a sales technique. And the way he broke it down, and maybe those of you that are in sales, you understand what he did. I don't know. But he basically gave me no room outside of the A or B. Right. Right. And, and, and it took me a few days after rethinking what I agreed to to go, that guy. So, yes, I 100% see what you're saying because, there, you know, and it goes with anything. We've talked about this. The more you do something, the less you know. Right. Right. Well, and the I, more you realize you don't know. Well, yeah, there, there you go. So, and it's the same scenario even with negotiation. Like, as some of you may have picked this book and you're like, ah, I know everything about negotiation. But reality is, probably don't. Right. Right. And then that's a tough one because I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at this and going, Yeah. And there's certainly certain things in here. Now, I, what I love is that he explains things that I may have not seen. So, for instance, if you go to page uh, 78, the very bottom, I, I thought this was one of the key phrases in this chapter when he says, it comes down to the deep and universal human need for autonomy. People need to feel in control. When we preserve a person's autonomy by clearly giving them permission to say no to your ideas, the emotions calm. Mm. And I go, that is... That is so true. Because no, you feel like you're more in control. Right? If you say yes, you're kind of giving up something. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I, I, and I, I think this is one of the ones you're going to talk about later on. But one of the things I do all the time when I go to a garage, are you okay if I share this? Yeah, go for it. Is I, you know, if people are really like, you know, they're like, oh, we've had this around for 50 years, you know, or, or you know, this, yeah, that jacket, yeah, I don't know if I can let go of that. And the first question I always ask is, Seems like that's is that's really special to you. Is that true? And automatically, I would say you've seen this too. Probably ninety nine percent of the time, they'll say no. It's not that special to me, right? Every once in a while, I'll, you know, if they grab it, I know it's over. Yeah, and it works. I've seen it when you do. It works best when when you know it's something that's like not a big deal. Maybe not necessarily super sentimental. You know, a jacket, pair of shoes, something like that. And they don't want to go down on price. They're saying 20, you're saying 10. They don't want to budge. You're like, man, I could see that these shoes must mean a whole lot to you. <laughs> and then they feel kind of weird. Like, no, not really. Well, then what can we do? Like, is there, and then you can move on to the mm -hmm. open-ended questions. Once you make them say no. Now, again, if they say yes, then you've got a little bit of information. Like, yes, this is really special to me. I, I you know, my grandma gave it to me. Well, then chances are they're not going to sell it anyways. Right? Like, but most but of the time. You have to be super careful the way you phrase it though. Because what, what happens is you can come off arrogant sometimes. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I had a scenario last week, and I'll share this in a future, future podcast, but I was in an estate, and it was only me, and it had 
been, you know, an individual had tons of stuff that was just sitting in their garage and they wanted me to help them clear the garage, which helped them and buy some other stuff and, and move it out. And, you know, there are certain things I started picking up and, you know, right away, like I already knew, like, you know, by, by the item number three, it was kind of like, I'm no longer going to ask anymore mm. because the first one was like, Hey, this is really awesome. You willing to move on this one? And they're like, no. Mm. Second time I grabbed something. How about this? No. And it wasn't no, like, because it was just no. So if I kept doing that, right, if I go to item five and item six, and because I had a pretty good idea of which items they were not willing to offload, I would have came off arrogant. I could have cut off my ability to negotiate any further with that individual. Right. Right. So, and you see this, if you watch American Pickers or whatever, yeah. you know, like this, but that that's what I recognize. So now I have the opportunity to maybe the second go around after I've already cleared out some of their space to go back and go, okay, it's, you know, I was just wondering if you had any time to think about it. You know, I was able to move some of these items. Do you want to make some more room? Right. Right. And then I can, and if they say no, they can either go no, and it's a hard no, and then you get it, or it's no, but you know what? Ah, I'm seeing that maybe it'd be good to move stuff. Right. And right. so no, you know, starts that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And then even, I, I feel like garage sale negotiations was, I, in a lot of ways, bartering is is similar to negotiating in like business, and in other ways, it's very different. Yeah, because most business negotiations don't happen like a traditional barter. There's a lot more involved than just a simple. I have one product, you have some money. Let's come to a fair price. There's a lot of other moving parts going on. Sometimes you're working. How can our two companies work together, or how can this client do? Like, there's a lot more involved, and so it could look a little different because I think you're right. When you're dealing with a person at an estate sale, who's maybe dealing with the loss of a family or somebody at a garage sale who's selling their kids stuff, um, it, your, your tactics are going to be a little different than if you're talking about two hardcore business people oh, yeah. who are dealing with, you know, multi-million dollars or whatever it is, it's going to look a little bit different. So I do think that going for a more, I don't want to say aggressive, but a, a, he kind of promotes like a, a more aggressive no from them to maybe say something like, so are you not wanting to make this deal or um, do you want to just go ahead and call this whole thing off? Right. Cause then you're, you, you've created this moment of like, okay, no, we definitely need this deal to happen or, or we don't want to cut the whole thing off. And then, so then they have to start thinking, okay, like what do we have to do to make it work as if instead of just you trying to get what you want, they're trying to get what they want. But as soon as you make them say, no, I don't want this to go away. That thread is almost looming. And then it's like, okay, now they're thinking of what can I do to make this other person happy instead of just here's where I'm at. No, agreed. I mean, I, I, multiple times it's happened more to me than me doing it to the other person where, especially when they go, do you want to lose this whole deal? Like that automatically disarms you. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. It, it's very, very different. And he gives some examples of here what no actually sometimes means for people. He says, when someone tells you no, you need to rethink the word in one of its alternatives and a much more real meanings. Now, here's some of the meanings he gives. And of course, you know, just as a disclaimer, we know that there's there's certain situations where, where this is not what we're talking about. We're talking like business negotiations. Yes. We're talking about things like that. Um, but here is some of the things that, that no, instead of just hearing no as this is done, here's some ways you can hear what they're saying and try and figure out which one of these it is to give you leverage in the negotiation. It might be, I'm not ready to agree. You're making me feel uncomfortable. I do not understand. I don't think I can afford it. I want something else. I need more information or I want to talk it over with somebody else. If it's 
one of those things. If it's, I want to talk it over with somebody else, or I need something else, or I don't think I can afford it. And you're trying to sell something to somebody that's much better if they're just like, no, but what they're really saying is I, I do want it, but I don't think I can afford it. But they didn't say that, but that's what you're understanding. What you think that this no really means. You can then begin to ask the open-ended type questions. Like what about this doesn't work for you, right? Once they've said no, then you can start asking some open-ended questions. And there's a list of open-ended questions he gives in this in this chapter that it could be very useful for you. Recommend going in and reading them because they're powerful tools you can use uh, in in many, many conversations. No, agreed. I, and again, the, the powerful thing about it is, and we've already repeated this, is that the moment they say no, they now have control. So when you have the open-ended question, they have even more control. And it's it's a sense of, it's it's... When you're doing really good negotiation, the way he explains it, they have, if you're doing it right, they have a sense or a feeling of control and an, and of autonomy, but you're still manipulating those questions and those things so that their feeling of control is still being moved towards the way you want them to move. But when they make that decision, it's more from a place of they've made it themselves mm-hmm. because they wanted to make it and they're more likely to follow through with a big purchase or, or a big transaction or whatever it ends up being. No, I agree. agree. And, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because, you know, it, he talks about, he says the exact same thing you just said on page 81. I think that's where you're going when he says, whether you call it a buy-in or engagement or something else, good negotiators know that their job isn't to put on a great performance, but to gently guide their counterpart to discover their goal as his own. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yep. You know, and so it, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's really tough because, you know, and I, I'll give you an example because all the time I would have, you know, and I'm going back to my administration days where the parents wanted favors for their kids. Right. And, and I don't in private school education. So even more so. Right. And, you know, my question would always be to get them to understand on their own what they were asking. Right. To get their, their own buy-in, their own engagement. So I give you an example. Sometimes I would get a question of like, you know, we just got back from a vacation. My, 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 you know, my child didn't have enough time to get this done, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Is there a way, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not okay with my child getting this grade. And then I would pose the question. And again, you gotta be, you gotta be careful when you play out these questions, you gotta read the person. You can't just, you know, there is no, there, I, I would say there is no textbook script to any of this. There's kind of, there's tools. It's right? an art. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an art. Yeah. The art of negotiation, whatever you want to call it. Wait, isn't that like a book? Probably. But if I are president. All right. Anyways, the art of the deal. That's what I was thinking about. All right. Anyways, we're not going there. So, you know, one of the questions I would always ask is, so are you asking me to, you know, put your student in a better situation than the rest of his or her classmates by allowing this, this to happen. The moment I would say that automatically be like, no, that's not what I'm asking. And then I would say, okay, so explain to me what, what would you like to see? And then the, the answer would be completely different than before I asked that no question. Right. Right. And because now, now the buy-in begins. Now it's like, okay, I get where Orlando's coming from in a position of authority in the school, he can't break policy and he can't, you know, blur the lines. He has to, you know, reinforce it because he has an entire student body that he's responsible for and faculty and blah, 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 blah. And so now the buy-in is there. That person understands that 
I can only go so far in my decision making. And so what they ask from this point forward has to be reasonable. Mm. And then the ne- collaboration and negotiation would begin. And then we'd land on a place where I wouldn't split the difference. I'd hold policy, but maybe we could work within that policy to make things happen for that student. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. And and in the same section, this persuade in their world, this idea of like getting them to kind of come to that conclusion. One thing I find interesting is it, it talks about um, this guy. And I feel like a lot of salespeople, especially, and, and again, nothing against, I feel like I've, I've learned a lot of like interesting stuff from um, what's his name? The, the 10X guy. Cardone. Yeah. Cardone. I've, I've read a few of his Maybe books. We should have him on the podcast. That'd be cool. Uh, okay. but, but I do think that there is this almost egocentric, like salespeople who like come off of his course, come off with this like emotional, like, yeah, like I've got this, I'm going to be, I'm going to dominate my sphere. And, and those may be good emotions to have in some extent, but he explains here that people who go into negotiations that way, they kind of, they put on their clothes in the mirror and they're looking at themselves like I'm making this deal today. I'm the best. And he kind of explains like, most of the time, the people that you're going into negotiation with, they can see that. They can feel the, that this is like a me, like I'm good enough to, to seal this deal. I'm the best. This I'm, I've got a product for you. And and they can tell it's really like a me, me, me focused no, yeah, negotiation. No, 100%. And no offense what I'm going to say right now to anyone that's our listeners, because we know this is not you. But that's how I feel every time I walk into a car dealership. Mm. Right? Now, I have friends that are car dealers, so I know that this isn't everybody. But, you know, you walk in and, you know, you may be only there because you're trying to get your car serviced. Mm. Right. But right away, you know, there's this arrogance that comes about. Right. Like I can seal this deal. And to me, it's off putting right off the bat. Right. Right. You see it, especially if if, you know, you're an individual that's in, you know, and not that I'm in sales, but, you know, you do business where you buy, sell, trade, whatever. Like you can see right away that this person is trying to hook you. Yeah. And if they give you something where they want that, yes. Cause a lot of times they do like the yes thing, like, Hey, I know you're not looking for a car right now, but here's my card. If you are interested, you'll give me a call. Right. What are you going to say to that? Yeah, sure. No problem. As you walk away, card goes in the trash or in your pocket and then it goes in the trash later. Right. Because even though you said the yes, and as really you talked nice. about a little earlier, it's, it's oftentimes people will give counterfeit yeses, right? Their yes really means no, right? But they're saying yes to end the conversation. Whereas if you can get a good no out of somebody and then get the conversation going a little bit more. And, and I don't know the specific, like what this guy used for negotiation tactics. And maybe it's just, he was just a good guy. And I don't know what it was, but when we were looking for like getting some of our shirts done, um, I'd went to and called a few people and I ended up going to this one place. And let me just say like, it's, it's, so bizarre, but like I walked into that place. Well, first I had like emailed and they were so great on emails and working out negotiating prices on stuff. They were super nice. I was super ready to go in there and I I already knew they were friendly based off of just the tones of the email and the calls that we've had. And I go in there and the guy that I talked to was just one of the nicest guys. When I placed the order, when I came back to pick him up, like everything he said, and I could tell he wasn't like, he wasn't pushing a sale, but I left there wanting to look at more of his samples. And then now anytime Orlando's or I talk about, Hey, let's maybe get some more shirts on. I'm like, Which we're, we're working on place. it. Yeah. But it's like, we're going to that place. Right. Because that guy wasn't trying to push a sell. Like, Hey, Hey, let me show you this. We've got the breast. And it wasn't just pushing a sell, but, but he found a way to like connect with me. And maybe some of it wasn't no things. He was talking about, do you want to, is your brand more like this or this, or would you be interested in this stuff here? And he wasn't looking, it, it didn't feel like a sales pitch as much as he was trying to help me out. And I was giving him my nose, which then he used of like, Hey, all right, well, it sounds like these types of hat might work out for you. Let me get, send you a, a picture later on of what it would look like. Nope. You know, free of charge. I'll send it. And 
it wasn't, it didn't feel like a sales pitch. It didn't feel like he was trying to push me to buy something. He was just being nice, having conversation, trying to find out more about our podcast. And it was really cool. Like, okay. So let's rewind that a little bit. It's so it, it sounds to me, and I'm not trying to use the tactics here right now, but it sounds to me that he used tactical empathy. I mean, it could have been, or it could have just been, he was a really good guy. And, but he, he, he might've been using it without right. ever have read, you know what I mean? Right, it's right. still a, a practical tool, but Absolutely. you know, asking about the podcast, yep. what do you do? Trying to put himself in your shoes, what you're looking for that opened that door negotiation for right. you don't want to buy those shirts. And that's where I'm going to go to refill our XLs that we need to sell. Anyways, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, again, but it's important that you said that Mike, because Chris Voss, the beginning of the book is very clear that these ideas build upon each other. Right. Right. So it's interesting that you brought up the nose, but you're going back without knowing that tactical empathy is what got you there. Right. Right. And so anyways, if you haven't read the book, you know, or haven't listened to that episode, go back to that episode. I forget what episode that is. Is it chapter two already? It's uh no, it's some, yeah, it's chapter two. I think where he talks about don't feel their pain, label it. I think that, or maybe it's chapter yeah, no, chapter two, be a mirror. Be a mirror. It's one of those. I don't know. It's in there. So if you haven't listened to it, listen to it. Or listen to it. Or you can, you know how you could do this? You go to Google Books and you put search and you put the word tactical empathy and it should pop up on what page it's on. And then that's when you know. Boom. <laughs> We're not going to do the hard work for you. You do it. <laughs> there you go. Because I can't do you remember. Want, do you want us to do all the work is, for you? This is so organic right now. All right. Organic means this is so flawed. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, you know, to me... I, I gotta, I gotta say whenever I've been in a room, so I I've seen this happen because I, I've worked with people that are like in, in development and so on. And I've seen different, different ways that people try to raise money. And it's kind of interesting because he gives a scenario in here. I forget what page it's on. Do you remember Mike? Yeah. I'll find it right now. All right. It's, <laughs> we're so bad right now. So uh, 90 for the, was the script with all the yeses. Oh, correct. Yes. Okay. I don't know. That was the script with the nose. 89 was the script with the Okay, answers. good. So that's that's right where I'm going to. So it's interesting because he talks about, you know, on page 89, no helps people feel safe, secure, emotionally comfortable, and in control of their decisions, which we've already talked about. But I've seen two examples. You know, when 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 you when you try to raise money, and again, I'm not an expert at all. I barely raised any money on my own because that never was my job. But I've I've been in, you know at dinners or I've been at, you know, events and I've seen this in play and whenever it's been the yes, 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 it seems like the person isn't as sold on donating. Right. Right. Because, you know, he gives the example here on, on page 90 and, you know, and this could lie anywhere. So the example I'm going to give could be anywhere politically, wherever you land. Okay. So we're not about politics at all, but you know, he's asking, you know, do you want to see our country? I'm just summarizing, paraphrasing. Do you want to see our country get better? Do you want... Those were the yes was. Yeah, all the yes. Do you want to see the country get better? Do you want things, you know, to be for the rights of individuals? Whatever it was. The questions are on that page. And it's yes, yes, yes. But if you ask somebody like, hey, do you want, do you want our country to continue getting worse? Do you want to see a weak America? Whatever it is, people are going to be like, no, like, no, no, right? And it's you're you're feeling safe, you're feeling secure, like you want things to happen. And it's the same way I've seen it with with donations for certain certain things where I've seen people get a whole lot more money by asking the no, because they're like, nope, I don't want this to happen. 
pulls out that checkbook and boom, writes that check. Yeah. So I've seen this in action and this is, this is legit advice. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's good. And and to be honest, those are some of the areas where I kind of felt like I was like, oh, do I really see a difference here? Like one example he gave is just simple, like starting the phone call of um, do you have a few minutes to talk would be like a looking for a yes question answer versus is this a good time to talk? I love that question. But, but to be honest, I'm I'm still trying to like wrestle like, OK, is there much of a difference? Because if somebody says you have a few minutes to talk. I could still say no and they could say, okay, well, when's a better time to call you back versus is this a good time to talk? It's like, yeah. oh, do I really see a difference there? I don't know. Well, let me try to explain the difference. So the difference is, so I, cause I had to do this all the time when I had to make those lovely phone calls to parents, right? And I would make a phone call. And if I ever asked a question, they have a few minutes to talk. Well, it's like, no, I really, you know, this, this goes on through their mind or it goes on through your mind. I mean, you get a telemarketer that tells you, hey, do you have a few minutes to talk? You're going to go like, no, like I don't got time for you. Right. But if they ask you, you know, is this a, is it a bad time? Right. For some people, it's an ethical dilemma. Am I going to lie to this person or am I going to stay on the phone and be truthful? Right. For some people. Right. Right. For others, it's like they're going to have to process this. Well, is it better me just get this phone call out of the way? and see what they want instead yeah. of having them call me back later. Right. So you, you put the power play in their hands and they have to process. So I use this all the time. I would call and go, Hey, I'm sorry to bother you. This is a bad time to call. And usually I would get like, you know what? I'd rather get this taken care of now than have to deal with it later. Mm. Right. And so that, that's where I think he's, he's going with this because in the sense in this, he says as an exercise, the next time we get a telemarketing call, write down the question. So ask, I promise you'll find that your level of discomfort correlates directly to how quickly he pushes you for yes. So if it's a no, you're going to push that person to answer you right there and be truthful with you because they want to get that phone call done. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. I, you, you don't know? I, I, I still, I still agree with his premise for the most part. Like that was one that was just a little, cause to me, both questions are pretty similar. Um, I mean, I guess there are some differences there, but, but I do see just the overall, um, like looking for no. And I think one of the, the things that, that he kind of hinted at here, he didn't give us a specific example, but even with like a, a, a boss or trying to offer something to an employee or like, Hey, would you be willing to take this on? is to offer them the no, like actually tell them like, it's okay to say no, but like shoot really big, like ask them to do even way more than you're originally hoping them to do. And be like, Hey, would this be something that you'd be interested in doing? If not, don't, yeah, it's okay to say no, like no problem at all. And if they think about it, like, no, I don't think I want, I, I could take on that much responsibility. Then you ask the open-ended question after that of like, all right, like, was there any part of that that you do think you would be able to, to do? Right. Now they're like, well, yeah, I, I probably could do this and this great. Like, Let's get, let's, let's maybe move towards that. We don't have to do all of it because they've said no, they've made the decision, but like you've already moved them towards the thing you wanted them to do. Right. So it's like, I want you to do a, but I'm going to offer you to do a, B and C. Like, would you be willing to do a, B and C for the company? If not, don't, no problem. You could say no, no. All right. Yeah, that's, that's fine. It's, that's a lot to take on. What about, what about, is there anything with a, that would be hard for you? Cause it, it seems like that might be a good fit for you. Right. And then they'd be like, yeah, I could probably do that. Cause they've already said, no, you've given them the freedom where they feel like you're not just saying you have to do this, you know? No, those are the master negotiators. I've seen that in action multiple times. I've seen it happen to Mike multiple times. Yeah. When well, we used to work together all the time. I was a yes man. Yeah. But you'd be thrown. I, and I knew how I would watch it play out where I knew this, these individuals would ask you these 
big time. Like, are you able to do all this? Because I knew eventually you'd be like, no, no, no. And then it'd be the yes to the one thing they were hoping to get done. Yep. <laughs> That's just how it went. I was a sucker. No, 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 no. Hey, no, we just, you know, you were the individual that could get the job done right. I guess so. Yeah. Um, one of the things I liked, um, story he kind of told here as he went through the, um, like working at the suicide hotline number, um, he explained that there's people who call into those numbers like often they're like frequent callers and he explains that they're not like actually in like any like immediate life-threatening situation but they've kind of ran out of people in their life to explain their life to and to kind of talk to and so they'll call into these hotlines and that once they make that frequent caller list they're only like allowed to call one time a day because they're really just calling to talk to people and so he's explaining he's got this call frequent call comes in and it's the time he's being observed like it's kind of like hey let's have an observation he's just volunteering this isn't like you know the end of the world thing but he wants to prove how well he's done he's been doing this for a while and he's he feels like he's got it under control he gets on this conversation he says by the end of the conversation that he's had with this guy the person that called in was literally congratulating him like thank you so much for the call like this was so great like you've helped me so much um you did a great job hangs up he walks into the observation booth with the guy who's observing him and he was like yeah that was amazing right like and the guy was like that was one of the worst phone calls i ever heard and he's like, well, what? Yeah. Like, what do you mean the yeah. worst? And he's like, he's, it was he terrible. Literally, he literally yeah. congratulated me on how good I did. And he said, exactly. He congratulated you on how good you did. So he's going to want to keep calling in as opposed to you solving the problem in a way where he thinks he solved it. So now he doesn't need us. Right. Like, and he kind of goes through that process of if you could move the situation from yourself, move it to them. And instead of just offering those questions and he even did use no questions but he still did it with a me-centered way. And I think that was kind of the lesson to be learned there. Cause he asked things like, um, when was the last time you got hurt out, you know, in the city? Cause this guy was afraid to leave the town. He's like, well, it hasn't happened in a long time. So then is there anything really to worry about? Well, maybe not. Like, so he was getting the no questions, but he was doing it from a, uh, like a clearly self-focused way instead of making it seem like the person was coming up with those conclusions on their own. Yeah. And I think, no, there's no book you can read, no textbook you can read that's going to make that natural and click in every situation because it is more of an art than it is a science, right? There's a science behind it. There's certain formulas you can follow, but, but I think about it like, you know, it's their tools in your toolbox and you've got to manipulate and use the right one in the right situation and be willing to adapt. And the only thing that's going to help make that possible is if you're practicing these things. So I'm just thinking back to some of the first ones we talked about, like the being the mirror, um, you know, labeling certain emotions. And then now this one with being willing to, to force them to say the no, to not be afraid of the no. And in fact, he says that like when he does conferences with, with salespeople, oftentimes he, he asks like, what's the one word nobody wants that you don't want to hear? And everyone's like, no. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's wrong, right? Like you're afraid of the no. And so like learning to maybe negotiate in a way where you're purposely trying to get that no. And I'm almost even thinking uh, for us, I mean, we we often talk about like never giving the first price at a garage sale mm -hmm. negotiation. Um, but I don't know if it'd be worthwhile if it's like, a you know, something that you're not like necessarily like, I'm going to make a ton of money on this. I need to get this low. Try doing something to get the no right away and see if you can move in a different way try just d use different uh, techniques i'll admit I, I tried that did you just because i saw that the no and again i've always said the the best way is to never give the first price but it's not the only way right and so this actually happened to me at a negotiation the other day there was a bunch of stuff and it's being bundled and i was kind of concerned because I didn't know where they were going to land and I wanted them to get to a certain place. So I just, 
I threw out a number that I, I, I thought they would say no, but it wasn't really out there. And, and so I threw out a number and they said, no, but I can do this. And I'm like, good. Right. So it, it the, the no clarified. I know that that's kind of weird because I've always said never give the first number. And I think just to, to clarify too, even more, because I mean, we've, we've both done a lot of research on this and, and especially as we're learning like negotiation again, like every situation is different. And I think it's important to realize that bartering one-on-one with a, with a, a, you know, a, an older gentleman at a garage sale or a, <laughs> a, a, a young family at a garage sale versus a big business contract are very different because it does seem like in some situations when you're dealing with like big business contracts, giving the first number might actually be a leverage point. That might be a powerful tool as to this is the number because then you have a little bit more control in certain situations. But when it comes to negotiating from at least from our anecdotal experience, when you're bartering with like an individual, it, it could be a little different, yeah, right? So the same things don't always apply. And it depends. I mean, I, I don't know. I know some business people that they're very big on never give the first number. To the point that they've, <laughs> I know this one individual who went from, they they brought him to a meeting and he wouldn't give the number. Then they're like, oh, maybe we'll wine him, dine him. Even at the dinner, the entire time, they wouldn't give him the number. He left. They, he never gave the number. And they ultimately gave the number and he got the number he wanted. Nice. Right? I, so, I, I think there's something to be said for that. I think, I think too, it could work the other way because I, I definitely think there's- I think there's, there's two schools of thought. I mean, you can Google it. There's, there's both schools of thought. Yeah. And I think-, I think like a lot of times the reason why like employers, like when it, when you come in for, for a position, right. And they're saying like, here's your raise, whatever we can offer you $60,000 for this position. Well, when they say that they have already a range that they're willing to take and they're offering you the lowest one. And when you hear that, you're thinking, oh, I need more than that. But like, I probably can't ask for 80 cause that's way above the 60. How about 65? Right. And they're thinking, Gotcha, right? Like we were like seventy five as our minimum. Yeah, no, we I've, gave you I've always gone shoot, shoot for the moon. No, shoot for, I mean, what what's the worst that will happen? They, I mean, you got to make sure that you understand that you pretty much you're in the hiring process already, right? Right? Because yeah. the worst is if I've had people come in and they've actually put it on their application. There's another tip, and you know, this has been tried and true, at least in my experience, is that. I've seen people put like what they're expecting. I think that's a bad move. Mm-hmm. In my in my, and now I'm dealing with education here. But whenever I saw a teacher put some obnoxious number, I'm already going, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if this is the right fit. Right? Now, I've had people that put no number and then in discussion they threw out an obnoxious number. That was far better. Right. Because, because then it, to, to me, it was something that we can negotiate. If you write a non-negotiable on an application, then I'm not even going to bother negotiating with you. It's done. But if you put, and I did this all the time, every, like I've always said, I've never gone, I never, when I was in that whole world, there never was a year that I made less money. I always made more money at least by 5% every single time. And one of the reasons why was because I never, I had a number in my head where I wanted to land by never, ever, ever revealed what that number was. So that's just, that's Orlando's perspective. That's a tip. But, you know, even when I had jobs that were outside of education, I still never gave a number. I I 100% still believe in not giving numbers. But then again, I don't have a huge business, you know, resume. I just know from my own experience. Hey, before we move on, there's a couple other things, because there's there's another part I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm with you about... 
you know, you know how you're kind of like, I don't know about that phone call uh-huh. thing. The next part, I'm kind of like that. But before we do that, hey, if you haven't had a chance to check us out on social media, we are Peers of Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Ah, uh, TikTok. It's taking times, over. Man. It is good times. Anyways, just check Mike on there. All right. Don't do that. Anyways, uh, we're also on Twitter. We are Pure Hustle Cast. And if you haven't, you know, caught us on YouTube and you've been listening to us on the podcast, check us over on YouTube. I always love it when people come over to YouTube and they're like, whoa. That's totally not what I thought you guys looked like. There was one where, like, I guess I was Wilder Valderrama and you were, like, some other random guy. And I'm like, that's interesting what people pictured us as. You know what I mean? Like, so if you haven't had a chance, come over to YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit that bell notification to get notified when new things drop. Uh, We will be working on a few projects here coming up soon. And also, uh, what's the next thing? Oh, phone calls. If you ever want to give us a call, 619-738-1170. That's 619-738-1170. Shoot us an email to purestofpodcast at gmail.com, purestofpodcast at gmail.com. And below, there's a a donate link. If you ever want to donate, just say thank you. Appreciate all of you that have helped us i mean part of the reasons we're able to do the things like our, our new background and some equipment that we've purchased and other things we have down the road is because many of you have been kindly uh donating to that link and really appreciate that and as always thankful for the reviews yeah and you know i we get some level up reviews on there too which is That's really cool. awesome so you know it keeps us motivated and you know again some books people are gonna love and some people they're not some opinions are gonna love and some they're not so yep. Appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Pure Podcast. Yeah. All right. Email magic. I like that one. See, I I don't know. That question, he, he, right? He poses this question. So if you go to page 92, he's talking about, you know, how never to be ignored in an email. And he, now I'm going to try this because I've been ignored recently. And they said, he says to type, have you given up on this project? And I don't know how that would go. I don't know. I, you know, it, it's kind of because at the same time, you're questioning the person's character. So some people who get offended easily might go like, what? Like, I'm not even, I'm not even going to respond to this. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Right. Others may go, of course not. And that and you get the nose. And right. this is why I haven't given up on it. I don't know. What are you going to say? Yeah, I think, again, I think it comes down to the type of negotiating you're doing, right? Like, you always have to be tactful. Um, you can't approach a negotiation or a conversation uh, with your spouse or with your grandmother or with, you know, <laughs> maybe a, a simple bartering the same way you would, We're you know, potentially talking multi-million dollar deals or other things like that. And I think... Which we have no experience in. No, yet. right. That's true. But I think when it comes down to if you're working on setting up a business partnership, right? Let's say we we had a, a set up a, a some kind of a partnership with somebody who's going to do merchandise for us and they were totally on board and we were talking negotiations and then like they kind of cut us off and we weren't hearing back from them. And then we're like, hey, like, okay, just to follow up, like this, this and this. And we can keep trying to like play the nice guy. And, hey, I don't want to offend these people who've kind of been blowing us off. Or you can ask a question like this. So have you given up on 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 this partnership? Is this something that you, you no longer want to pursue? Because then, yeah, you might offend them. But if they're the kind of person who's going to be overly emotional and they've already kind of been pushing you off to the side, then do you really want to partner with them in the first place? Do you really want to make that deal if they're not a type of person that that can kind of hold through? Whereas if if you ask a question like that, like, hey, is this, is this a partnership 
that we have going on no longer like in the works. This is not something you have time for. If they say, if they then come back with like, no, I'm sorry. I haven't been able to get back to you, like overloaded with some other stuff. I'm hoping to get this cleared off my plate. Then you can kind of move from there and say like, okay, is there anything we can do currently? You know what I mean? It opens up those yeah, open-ended I questions just, to me. And again, Chris Voss is an expert. So if this is what Chris Voss says, then obviously he knows more than I do. But I have noticed, you know, written word can be misinterpreted all the time. Oh, for sure. Right. Emails to me are just, not, you know, I always remember when, when I was a minister, I always told faculty, if you have anything sensitive or anything that could be misconstrued, pick up that phone or talk to the person face to face. Right. Right. So that's why now I will implement this because there's, there's a company right now that hasn't gotten back to me. So I'm going to say, hey, is our relationship no longer moving forward and i think i think you you got to again be careful because you want to be somewhat sensitive but at the same time if they're already kind of giving you the cold shoulder do you really want to keep like whining and dining them to get that like yeah yes, yeah agree where they're like yeah. yeah 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 sure and then again then they blow you off right mm -hmm. like that's not the person you want to work with but if you can like basically have a a, a real business-like relationship where you're like look have you given up on this project or is this do you not want to pursue our partnership and you got to again do it in a way where it's not like Hey, I'm so mad at you, but just like upfront, like, is this something you want to keep doing? And if they say no, then you got your no. And if they say, um, uh, you know, like I do, but like, here's the reasons why. And so I do think there is a place for this because I don't think you need to continue, especially in certain types of negotiations, you don't need to keep sweet talking the client or sweet talking and hoping not to offend and step on toes of a person who's just going to be so fickle that they're just going to keep giving you yeses and then blowing you off. And those yeses are actually counterfeit yeses. It's almost better just like, let's just cut to the chase. Let's get the no. And if you give me a solid no, like, no, I really don't have time to for this project. And there's still somebody you're like, there's benefit. Then you can say like, is there a reason or is there something we can do? And then you might be able to move forward in the negotiation. But if you keep getting the like, yeah, 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 I'll get to it in a little bit. Or I'm sorry, like you're not moving forward at all. So sometimes it's better just to get the clean cut no or a no that opens up and, and moves that discussion forward. And, and and again, I don't have like a lot of perfect examples of this, but no, I he has examples true. he doesn't remember. So when I was an administrator, this is this is a perfect example. So this these kind of emails were used at me. So I was big on placating people, you know, mm -hmm. play the political line as administrator. So I'd always say, yeah, we'll get to, oh yeah, we're definitely planning on, you know, and you get busy because I'm reading this right now. I'm going, okay, this maybe in reselling, I didn't do this, but I know for sure as administrator where, you know, people would say, Hey, are we going to do this? And I feel bad because I know we have people I worked with that are listening to this right now. So my apologies. I wasn't trying to be this way, but you know, I would be like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of it. And I really fully intentioned is that even a word intention intended intended to get it done, but it would never happen. But man, somebody wrote something to me like, Hey, Orlando, have you given up on this? Ooh, I would get a reaction. It'd be, re I'd, I'd answer that email a lot faster. Cause I'm like, Nope. Like I'm fully on board with this. You know what? Let me get this done by da da, -da. Right. And it would make me take action. So Chris Voss is right. Hey, <laughs> so, cause I, I, cause you know, my, even Mike, you know, I, I can't give you an example, but I'm sure there were times, Mike, where you emailed me and I would say yes and yes and yes. And it'd be months before we ever, I don't know if maybe. Yeah. I no, no, that's true. I mean, especially I, I, I did a lot of the video stuff um, for the school. And so I would, uh, I would often be the person that I'd have to bug for more money for more equipment or more software or whatever. And yeah, if I just in a list of stuff I needed and like, okay, we'll look at the budget. But then, you know, there were definitely probably a few times where I said stuff like this, like, all right, um, 
we're not going to be able to have this and this for this event. Is that okay? Right? <laughs> no, no, no. We need that for the event. Okay. So here's what I need. Yeah. Uh, no, agreed. Boom. And then it happens. Yeah, no, so 100%. yeah, I, I definitely think these types of things work. You just got to, you got to kind of figure out in your own profession, in your own negotiation worlds where that work. And then maybe even this probably works again, because we're talking about how all of this works, even into the everyday, day-to-day life, even in conversations with friends, parents, spouses, whatever it is, kind of getting to this kind of a, a question as opposed to just asking basic questions like, hey, is everything okay? Yes. Instead of like the, so do you just not want to do this anymore? Is This is, is like relationship advice too. I mean, how many times, I mean, I don't know how many times you or, but you know, you text somebody or say, hey, like, are we no longer blah, blah, blah. And then you get your answer. Huh? You may not want it, but it, either that person will take action or it's over. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so these these are good. It's not the kind of podcast, questions. but there you go. So, all right. Uh, so hey, so wrapping things up here a little bit. There's there's a lot of interesting. I, I like how he closes it with the key lesson. So if you haven't picked up the book, and maybe if you you know we talked about earlier in the podcast today, how you know you have to be really intentional, right? But it's kind of tough when to be intentional, and you know you're like, oh, what page is that? But if you go to the key lessons at the end of each chapter, he really breaks them down really nice. Mm. Right, I really like what he said. Do you have a couple you want to talk about before I talk about mine? Yeah, and, and real quick before I get to those, one last thing, and it's in the key lesson section, but kind of introducing it, he says this, um, and this is something I've kind of been wrestling with a lot uh, because I do, I want to be the guy because I feel like there's a lot of benefits to being the guy who's positive a lot around other people. People want to be around people who are positive. People are going to mirror that. Um, there's a lot of benefits to that. But I do think in our culture, there is too much. He, he nails it on the head here. This emphasis on being nice, but it ends up for a lot of people becoming a fake nicest. And he says this, he says, um, we've I- instrumentalized niceness as a way of greasing the social wheels, yet it's often a, ru- a ruse. We're political and we don't disagree to get through daily existence with the least degree of friction. But by turning niceness into a lubricant, we've leached it of its meaning. A smile and nod might signify, get me out of here as much as it means hmm. nice to meet you. And it's so true. I meet a lot of people where like your first couple interactions with them, like, hey, I need this. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And they're like totally saying yes to you. And then after a few interactions, you realize like they're saying yes because they want the conversation to end, but nothing's actually being done here. And I much would respect, I'd, I'd respect a, a manager, a leader, whoever it is, a lot more if they're willing to look me in the eyes and say like, hey, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Because then at least I know where I stand and then I can begin to begin negotiations, right? I can be like, all right, you're saying no. Is there something I could do to move us towards a yes? Or as opposed to somebody who just says yes and doesn't mean it. And I think a lot of times people try to be nice and they, there's almost this political niceness and it comes off, like he says, like greasing the wheels of, of society to get just get things going. And I do think greasing kind of works in a couple ways here because that can just be like a greasy thing to do, right? Where it's just kind of just the person who's that, like that, who's always just, yeah, yeah, but they're like a political, yeah, like, oh, sure, nod and thumbs up. But none of it really means like, yes, those are not the people you want to be around mm-hmm. and you you realize that quickly. And so even for that, for yourself, like there's a fear of like, if I'm, if I don't say yes to these situations, if I'm not willing to come off a little stern, people are going to disrespect me or, or not respect me and not appreciate me. But the reality is if you're always saying yes, but you don't really mean it, they're actually probably going to respect you a lot less than if you're willing to sit there and say, you know what? No, I can't do that. Or this isn't going to work. Or I need to think on this more. And, and just to be legitimate. And so you don't always have to be nice for the sake of niceness, right? Because a lot of times that actually gets 
people nowhere. And so be willing to not have to feel that society societal pressure of, I need to be nice because if I'm not nice, then people are going to push away from me. Because in reality, a lot of people might respect that more than you realize. Yeah. And maybe nice isn't the like appropriate word. It's, it's, you know, authenticity is what wins in the end, right? Any deal that you're making, interaction that you're making, you know, and, and even, and again, we're not, this isn't that kind of podcast, but even with friendships, like the worst friendships are the friendships of nice mm. because they're not real. They're not authentic. And the moment things get raw, those people are gone. Yeah. Right. And I can, you know, I can go on and on about my own life, but, and I'm sure all of you can, I'm sure Mike can, where you had this, where people were yes, 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 yes. And then the moment that it was, you really needed those individuals, there was no authenticity. And then, then you find out, but by then you're in a really bad place. Mm. So, all right. So I like, you know, he talks about no is not a failure. So if I'm flying through these, let me know. No, that's good. Um, but, you know, saying no makes the speaker feel safe. I would say out of, uh, to me, the takeaway out of all of them was that one, because I didn't realize until I read this chapter about how important it is for an individual to be able to say no. If they can say no, they feel in control. And th- somehow it works out that you have better negotiation power because now that person is willing to be more authentic because they've already said that no, that begins a conversation. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. Uh, one of the ones that I kind of picked up on, um, and, and again, this one's like super counterintuitive, um, especially because looking even back on a previous chapter where it talked about like labeling emotions and, and all of those elements. And here he talks another way of utilizing that. He says, sometimes the only way to get your counterpart to listen and engage with you is by forcing them into a no. Mm -hmm. That means intentionally mislabeling one of their emotions or desires or asking a ridiculous question like, it seems like you want this project to fail that can only be answered with a negative. And that's really counterintuitive, especially because again, talking about that that idea of like that you can come off because again, he's very against coming off as like the arrogant, like I'm going to get this sale type of a, a mentality. But at the same time, especially when you're in a, a real lock hard negotiation and there's no budget happening in either way, sometimes, like he says here, the only way to get the counterpart to move or to budge at all is to mislabel an emotion. Saying something like, you know, wow, it seems like you're really upset about this, even though you know they're not upset, like, no, no, I'm not upset about this. Boom. Now all of a sudden the conversation changes. Or uh, so do you want this project to fail? And I've used that, like I said, kind of going with the, like this big event that we're doing with the video stuff. Um, we're not going to have this, this, and this, is that okay with you? Right? Like, do you want this kind of to fail? And, and you can do it tactfully, but sometimes obviously the answer is going to be no. They're going to say like, no, we, we need those things. Like it has to happen or the, or the event doesn't take place. Well, now the conversation's going as opposed to being that deadlock where it's like, well, we don't have money. We don't have this. And it's like, all right, well, do you, are you okay with it just failing? Right? Like that's kind of a ridiculous question and it might seem a little rude, but if you do it with like a previous um, tactic he used where it's like, Hey, I know I'm kind of a jerk, but uh, I'm just going to say, it seems like you want this project to fail. You know, like, so when you say something like that, it it could, it it seems counterintuitive because that's not our common um, society. Like we talked about kind of pushes us to be nice of trying to be almost the yes man or like you don't want to offend. But sometimes pushing those buttons tactfully can be what you need in order to move a negotiation forward. But I suggest you practice and learn these techniques and and how to read people before you do it in like a very serious situation. Don't just jump into your boss and and ask that question. So do you want the company to go under? Right. Like that might not be the best way to practice. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not the best question to ask. Now, 
something you said there though, you know, it 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 was great because you're dealing when you push that, you're dealing for the illogical to become logical. Right. And that's what he says at the end of page 94. He says, it's about the other party convincing themselves that the solution you want is their own idea. So don't beat them with logic or brute force. Ask them questions that open past your goals, not about you. And I think that's very important because in a lot of negotiations, you really are dealing with somebody who's being illogical. Right. And, you know, because emotions blur logic a lot of the time. So when you're. And, you know, I'm speaking on the authority of Chris Voss. When you ask them and get them to a place to say no, logic begins to be part of the conversation again, because then it forces them to push out the illogical. Mm. So I thought that was pretty powerful. Just pick that up right now as uh, you're talking about your example. So that was good. That's good. Yeah. And and maybe my kind of my challenge to all of us, obviously, uh, one, I want to go back to the first three chapters and kind of look at some of the things we talked about, maybe even listen to those podcasts again and kind of figure out how can I be intentional about a couple of those things, at least mirroring, labeling, those types of of tools. Um, But here, um, how can we use the no? And I'm thinking... Orlando's technique, I've, I've, I've kind of used it not to the same level that he has, um, but I think the way I've seen him do it, it is actually smoother in person than it is just talking about it on the podcast, but they're like, wow, this, this jacket must mean a lot to you, huh? Like if they say 30 and you're like, oh, how about 10? Oh, no, no, not 10. That's $30 for sure. $30. Oh, wow. This must mean a whole lot to you guys. It's really important to you. And then it's like, well, not really. So what are some other, and just kind of a challenge to, to our listeners, maybe you can put down in the comment box, what are some no questions that you can use in negotiating at a thrift store, at a garage sale, at an estate sale, when you're trying to make contact with a, a, a client that might be able to get you some wholesale stuff? What are some questions specifically that relate to resale that we can use? Um, one that I thought of, but I'm not sure how it would always work, but is like, again, this is one that might be pushing a little harder, but is like, so are you hoping to keep all this merchandise? Well, right. that, I was thinking about that because the question I ask that's related to that is, I you know, if it's kind of like Edward Deadlock, I just ask, you know, so are you looking to donate everything at the end if things don't sell? And usually what ends up happening is the person's like, no, I really am hoping to sell this. I'm like, okay, well, if that's the case, hey, here's my business card, you know, hit me up before, you know, the garage sale's oh, over. That's a good one. And I've had people contact me and I'll show up at the end and I'll get it for even less than what I was asking for the initial time. That's good. So, especially yeah, so when let us know in the with, comments. Especially when you end it with something. I, I love this one. I use it all the time. Usually after I bought something just to keep the conversation like positive, especially if, um, you know, don't want, um, you know, mom or dad or whoever it is. To, I say mom or dad, but like husband, wife, whoever to come out who they're like, I think, yeah, this is my husband's. And yeah, I guess I give it for 10. And uh, wow, at least you will never have to see this again. Right. Or you won't have to move this heavy thing back into the garage and, and things like that. So when you say stuff like, Hey, I'll come back back and buy it. Once you've come back and they thought, well, at least I'm going to be able to sell this stuff to this guy instead of having to donate it. Then you can use that technique of offering even less. And if they're like, Oh, but you said earlier and be like, look, I, I'll take it all for this stuff for this price and you won't have to move it back into the garage. You're not going to have to ever touch it again. It's out of your hair for good. Otherwise you're going to do something with it. No, I'll ask a question. Do you, do you really want this back in, in the garage? garage? Yeah. And that one, usually I always, like, you see me do it yeah. and they'll go like, no, actually I don't. You know what? Let, let's just make it happen. Yeah. And boom, you know, you get the item. That's how it works. So yeah. let us know some of your no questions that you can ask. There you go. Hey, so I'm hoping for next episode of Level Up Review, we're going to do the next two chapters. Well, we could try. Let's push chapters five and six, but let us know your thoughts below. But hey, remember, no is a good negotiation tactic. That's right. So with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. Please. Please.